am so excited that I get a chance to bring you the word this morning. Um, I believe that God has something special in store for you today. Um, and in fact, we are going through a series called In Tune, In Tune, The Everyday Lifestyle of Worship. Okay, and as I was thinking about In Tune, the first thing that came to my mind was AGT. Any, any AGT, America's Got Talent uh, fans in here? Anybody else? Okay, only, only a handful of us. Okay, cool. <laughs> so our family, we, I mean, we love having dinners um, together at the table, but there's just some nights where we're like, you know what, let's just have dinner at the couch and let's turn on some AGT. So we, <laughs> we're all about it. But um, the interesting thing about listening to these, these people who have these different talents, they come in and they sing and they do all these amazing things. Um, but a lot of times the singers, they, um, they come in and they share this crazy story, this situation that um, went on in, in their life and, and how basically everything worked up to where now they're able to stand before the judges and share their talents and um, here they are. And so a lot of times it's super emotional and the judges are just like, their, their heartstrings are tugged on. And then they sing this song or they do some sort of act. But in, in this circumstance, we're going to talk about singing. So they sing this amazing song. And sometimes it's not always like perfectly in tune. Sometimes the words aren't even like that great. Um, but because there was that emotional connection, it turns out to be this most beautiful and amazing song. And I have definitely been a person who have listened to these songs and, and had my heart tugged on and a couple of tears fall as I'm listening to um, them singing. So I understand that whole emotion um, concept when it comes to people um, sharing their music and their gifting. And as I was thinking about this, about this idea of in tune, I was thinking that just like, like I shared with AGT, with these people who come in and, and they share all these emotions, it, a lot of times it's not the most perfect the way that they execute it. But the emotion, the emotion is what makes it that much better, right? And that, that is oftentimes, in general, when we sing, when we worship, when um, we do anything through music, a lot of times we encourage we encourage there to be that emotion um, to be a part of it. Because the emotion, like I said, pulls on our heartstrings. That emotion raises passion, raises excitement. Um, it raises all different types of emotions within us, and sometimes even anger, depending on the song. I mean, come on, I don't know about you, but I am not a huge fan of like the whole screamo type stuff, but I do have to acknowledge they are very talented. <laughs> like, let's just call it what it is. But as far as listening to it, I'm like, oh. Ooh, like that just does something to my spirit, like, oh, it makes me like not a happy person. So um, there is definitely that side as well. Um, but really, worship is all about expressing love, gratitude, honor, and devotion to God. It's about loving God more than ourselves. And that's exactly what worship is. And as I was thinking about this also, I was thinking, man, even just our worship songs, we can sing a song with only two chords in it. In fact, there was one song that I really loved when I was a kid. It was Shout Unto God with the Voice of Triumph. I don't know. Anybody else know that song? Yeah? Okay. The enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. So it's like, you know, this awesome song. And it's literally two chords. It's literally D and E. That's it. The entire song. And, I mean, it just like, man, it just, it just hits and it just goes. And then all of a sudden it like gets higher. And it, it's just amazing. All about this triumph and, and shouting it all out to God and, and how the enemy has been defeated. 
literally two chords. But yet the emotion and the passion and the excitement and all the things as we sing this amazing song, it's powerful. It's powerful because of that emotion piece. Because ultimately, it's not a matter of the song that we're singing. It's not even a matter of the words that we're singing. It's all about who we're singing it to, right? It's all about who we're singing it to. And so today, we are going to talk about what it looks like to be in tune with the Lord. And we, as throughout this series, we have gone through all different ways of how we can remain in tune with the Lord. We've talked about living unashamed, um, unashamed for the Lord. We've talked about um, chain break, the chains breaking off of us. We've talked about um, how Jesus' presence and, and being in Jesus' presence and uh, how Jesus' presence goes wherever we go and, and all of those things. But today, we're going to really just go back to the basics and where it all begins, where it all begins and how we can ultimately start our journey when it comes to being in tune with the Lord. And I say start our journey, but really it's a, it's a re-continuation of our journey with the Lord. So today we're going to talk about repentance, repentance. And we're going to jump into a story about a woman who literally goes all in with the Lord and how she chooses to, despite society, despite what anybody says or thinks about her, she's all about Jesus. But before we jump into that, I want to share with you what repentance means. Repentance is this, the act of changing one's mind. True biblical repentance goes beyond remorse, regret, or feeling bad about one's sins. It involves complete change and redirection of one's actions and ways. So let's jump into this story, and let's see just how this woman interacts with Jesus and how ultimately repentance is is the first act of how um, Jesus interacts with her and how she responds to him. So we're going to be in Luke 7, uh, verse 36 is where we're going to begin. And it says this, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Wow. So maybe as I'm reading this story, you automatically know that this is the woman with the alabaster jar. This is the woman that runs into Jesus, focused only on him, to cry over him, to anoint him with her perfume. But before we really jump into her, let's, let's talk about the Pharisee. Okay, so first of, first of all, Pharisee, the Pharisee, we find out later on, his name is Simon. Um, he's the one that invites Jesus into his home. And really, for what reason? It doesn't necessarily explain, but um, there are some, some ideas behind the reason why um, he invited Jesus in. Maybe it was because he thought it would build his reputation, or it would be entertaining to see what Jesus would say or do. Or maybe he invited him to try to trick Jesus in some way. And later on, as we listen to this story, we begin to see that really, Simon didn't really seem to believe in who Jesus was. And we see that from the very beginning, from the moment Jesus enters into his home, Simon is guarded. He essentially has his arm up, arm's length, this distance between him and Jesus. Yes, he invites him in. Yes, he welcomes him into his home. And he wants to have dinner with him and all the things. 
But still, there's this guard. But then in verse 37, we see, but when a certain immoral woman arrives. This certain immoral woman. You see, this woman was someone who had obviously been living a sinful life. She was most likely a prostitute in the community, and her life was clearly known enough to where the Pharisee, when he saw her, cringed just a little bit. But what makes her so precious to the Lord? There's something about her that makes her so precious to Jesus. You see, this woman, she hears that Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. She's immoral. She's a sinner. She's potentially been a prostitute. She has this reputation. And yet when she hears that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house, what does she do? Despite the fact that when she enters into that home, that there is going to be judgment poured all over her. The moment that she walks in, everybody that lays eyes on her is going to be like, ooh, ooh, why is she here? But still, she walks in, her eyes focused on Jesus, not seeing all the, all the other dinner party people. She walks in straight to Jesus, and she kneels down before him at his feet, and she weeps, and she pours out this alabaster jar of perfume over his feet. You see, she grabs, when she goes to Jesus, she doesn't come empty-handed, she comes with something that is probably the most valuable to her. And she takes it to Jesus. And she pours it over his feet. And she weeps. You see, Jesus, when we, when we think about this scenario, we tend to think that Jesus was sitting at a table, that he was sitting at a chair. But really in this day and age, um, it's really interesting. I was like doing history, like research on it. And um, really they didn't sit at a table like we sit at a table. They actually reclined. And so like essentially his legs would have been like out and he would have been like this, you know, and maybe just eating and just fellowshipping and stuff. And, um, and it really goes back to the whole, to the Greeks and how they believed that it digested their food and all the things. And so this was just a practice that the people in that day and age took on. And so, um, so really for her to come in and go to his feet was not this weird thing because it wasn't like she was like hungering underneath the table and trying to like wedge her way in. But no, instead his legs, were literally out behind him, and so he was able to eat, and she was able to reach his feet. And so that gives you kind of this perspective of, of kind of the way things were looking. And so we see that she simply runs up to Jesus. She, stands, she kneels before him, and you see this woman was willing to humble herself, wet his feet with her tears, despite the judgment that was probably coming over her by everybody else in the room. So my first point is this. Repentance comes when we recognize our brokenness. Repentance comes when we recognize our brokenness. When we recognize our brokenness, there's often a physical response that comes along with it, such as tears. The Bible tells us that she was weeping. Okay, so now I don't know about you, but like when I'm weeping, I'm like, it's like an ugly cry. Like, like you know what I mean? 
like worth, <laughs> like it's like all within you and it just comes out and like you, you just can't help it. I mean, there has been times where I have like literally wanted to watch a movie that I knew would make that happen just to like have that feeling of, oh, just refresh myself with lots of tears. Like, I don't know, there's just something about it. Um, but I am definitely an ugly crier. So, um, <laughs> so I can only imagine what this was like at this scenario where this woman is coming in and it says she's weeping. She's not just like a couple tears are coming off of her face. I mean, for enough tears to come off of her face and for her to wipe them off of Jesus's face, it was not just a little tear that came down and then, you know, soaked into her skin. No, it was like flooding. The floodgates were open and were pouring all over his feet. And I can only imagine that there was probably some sound with that, some, some body convulsions of, of just crying and pouring her, herself over his feet, right? And we laugh, we laugh at that, but yet it's so powerful. It's so powerful at the same time because when, when we allow ourselves to fully give in to those tears, there is vulnerability there. It breaks down the guard within our heart, right? And so I was thinking about tears, and I was thinking about crying, and I was thinking, okay, what, what, how does this benefit our, our bodies, ourselves? Like, what does this do to us? Because, I mean, I know that it's, it's good for our souls, it's good for our hearts, it's good for our minds, it's good for all of it. Um, and as I was doing research, I, I found that allowing yourself to shed tears and cry not only helps a person relax, but it releases oxytocin and endorphins. And when those chemicals are released, they make a person feel good and can ease both physical and emotional pain. It ultimately promotes a sense of well-being. Crying also releases toxins and releases stress. Have you ever been like so stressed out where you're like, just, just wanna cry? And sometimes you just do, right? Like just take a shower and go cry. <laughs> But so often, so often we hide away these emotions, right? Like, I, I don't know about you, but there's been times where I've, like, watched a commercial and tears start flying. I'm like, oh, I, don't want, I don't want anybody to see that I just was crying. Like, that was, you know, I'm, like, immediately wiping it away. Like, I don't want my kids to see that I was just crying over that Mary. commercial. Like, come on, right? Yeah. <laughs> or even a kid's movie, you know, we'll be watching the, the kid's movie together, and I'm like... <laughs> Crying. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> but it's good, it's good. It's good to, 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 uh, to have those emotions. In fact, um, I am a, a trained life coach, and um, in my training, um, my, my coach, she actually told us, she said, hey, like, when people cry, when they are sitting in front of you and they are pouring out their heart and they're crying, what is your first response? And some of us said, you know, to, to give them Kleenex or whatever, or just, you know give them a moment. And she said, she said, don't let your first response be to grab a tissue. Because so often, we immediately have that sense of hiding it, wiping it away. We don't want anybody to see. Because what is tears? Tears is vulnerability. Like I said, it breaks down the guard within our hearts. And so we see that ultimately tears can also be that offering to Jesus. Tears can be an offering to Jesus. You see, this woman, she didn't hold back. But she not only didn't hold back her emotions, but she also didn't hold back something that was valuable to her. Like I shared before, she, she also grabbed her alabaster jar filled with perfume, and she poured it on Jesus. 
You see, it was actually a normal sign of respect to um, go before a rabbi or a teacher or even have a special guest within your home and to anoint them, to anoint them with oil, with perfume, to kiss them on the cheek, to um, really, it was, it was a part of hospitality even. And yet we see that this woman, she did those things, but she, she still felt so unworthy to go to his head and to anoint this perfume or to anoint oil over him. Instead, instead of looking at his eyes, all she could see was his feet, and all she could do was pour out her heart because she was so unworthy. She felt so unworthy, but she knew, and she felt this longing of wanting to be in the presence of Jesus. She didn't care the situation that she was in. She didn't care that she was literally in a room full of all these people who were righteous or who would have looked uh, better in society. But instead, she still was willing to give it all to the Lord. It was as if she couldn't worship him enough. It was as if she couldn't worship him enough. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt so broken to where you, you all of a sudden recognize your brokenness? There has definitely been times in my life where the Lord has like straight up like smacked me upside the head and been like, yo, Danielle, what are you doing? That is a critical spirit. What are you doing? Why are you thinking that? And, um, and it's in those moments that I recognize my brokenness. Yeah. And I pour out my heart to the Lord and I'm like, God, oh, I'm such a sinner. And I am so in need of your presence. I'm so in need of your love. And we see that this woman, no matter the cost, she was willing to offer her full devotion to Jesus. And you see, one of the greatest tests of love that we can do is respond when we mess up. When we make a poor choice. When we love God and then turn away from him. The best thing that we can do, the, the true test of love towards Jesus is by responding to him when we mess up. But you see, a lot of times we have a tendency to, to go one or two ways. Either we recognize our brokenness and we completely humble ourselves, or we go on the other side and we become prideful. Where do you stand? Do you allow yourself to be humble or do you stand in the way of pride? See, the most restorative things that you can do is admit where you're wrong and take action to change. Repentance is powerful. It releases the grip of Satan over our lives. It is ultimately what gets us back in tune with God. Whether you're on the, the front lines of your walk with the Lord and you're still trying to figure this whole thing out, it's the beginning of, of a potential relationship, a potential journey with the Lord. Or if you have been in, in, your, in your walk with the Lord for a long time, guess what? You're still a sinner. You're still in need of that grace. You're still in need of his mercy. And the enemy wants to grab a hold of your heart. He wants to make you so prideful to where you don't even realize the sin that's in your life. Yeah. And he wants to grab a hold of your heart and you see, repentance is what begins to, to strip that away. It loosens his grip on our life. See, true worship is about valuing Jesus more than ourself. It's, and it's not just valuing Jesus more than ourselves, but it's, it's taking that extra step and demonstrating it. 
You see, truly humbling ourselves is vulnerable. And oftentimes it seems counterintuitive, and yet it is what brings our hearts and our souls and our minds back in alignment with Jesus. So we see how this woman responds. We see that she was willing to, at all costs, no matter the situation, no matter where she was at in society, no matter what anybody else thought of her, she still was willing to lay it all down before the Lord. And so now, let's see on the other side, this Pharisee. Let's see how he responds. So in Luke 7, verse 39, it says this, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, oh, I'm sorry, verse 38, then she knelt, I'm losing my spot here. I'm just going to read 38 and keep going. Then she knelt, she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Verse 39, this is where we're at. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. We're going to stop there. Because we see that the Pharisee responded in his mind. And it's important to catch that. Because he didn't say it out loud. He didn't say it for everybody in the room to hear what he was, you know, Whatever I'm sure everybody else in the room was thinking. Instead, he, he held up his appearance. And I'm sure that in that moment, he tried really hard not to like, like show his, his cringiness when she walked in. I'm sure he tried to keep his composure. But the thing that came out was his mind. And what does he say? He says, if this man were a prophet... That right there goes to show that in that moment, really, he wasn't quite sure that Jesus was who he says that he is. He would know that kind of woman is touching him because she's a sinner. You see, when it comes to the Pharisees, they were all about cleanliness versus uncleanliness, righteousness versus unrighteousness. And so then when a sinner, a person who was unrighteous, would touch somebody who was clean and who was righteous, they, that made them unclean. And so for him to look at her and say, oh, Jesus, how dare you? Why would you have this sinner, this despicable woman touch you? She's a sinner. He didn't say all that stuff out loud, of course, but his mind was right there. And you see this Pharisee, he was too busy judging the woman and couldn't see what was right in front of him, what was right in the very same room as him. Jesus. He was so blinded by just judging this woman who was doing the very thing that honestly he should be doing. So my second point is repentance is hindered by pride. Repentance is hindered by pride. Like I said, it's, it's so interesting that, that he did, he spoke it in his mind and you know, I look at this woman and I look at this, this Pharisee, and to be honest, I personally can relate to both of them. I've definitely been in that place of, of making poor choices where God, like I said, smacked me upside the head and, 
I ran to him. And I recognized just how broken I was. But then I've also been on the other side, just like that Pharisee, where I've held up my appearance. But in my mind, my mind was critical. My mind was judgmental. How often do we as Christians who claim to be fully and completely devoted to Jesus speak those same kinds of things over people in our life, over people that we see in our mind? Nobody would never know it. It's in my mind. Nobody knows. Can't be that bad. We think, that we think things along the lines of, whew, I'm definitely a better parent than they are. Whew. Yikes. If only they had it all figured out like I do. I'm so glad my child would never act that way. Why would they wear that to church? Don't they know they're in the Lord's house? They are definitely not living a life that honors God. Mm -mm. Are they really going to change? I'll believe it when I see it. I think a lot of us, just by your responses, it's easy for us to go down that direction. And I say it, and, I, and it's funny, and it's like, hoo, 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 But at the same time, it's so real. It's exactly what we do. It's exactly what we do. And you know what? That's exactly where the enemy wants us. He wants us to stand just like the Pharisee, be in the same exact room in Jesus, with Jesus, and hold him at an arm's length. Keep our guard up and say, yeah, that Jesus. Does he even know that she's a sinner? We too can be blinded by our pride and completely see past Jesus. Completely see our own sin. Completely see the fact that, like I said before, what that woman was doing, pouring her heart completely over Jesus, that's exactly what we should be doing. But instead, what do we do? We stand back and we say, <laughs> and we judge. You see, Simon chose formality without hospitality and association without reflection. Association without affection. You know, I think it's, it's really easy for us to, to do that. We associate ourselves as, as Christians. We associate ourselves with Jesus, with the church. We, we hold that Christianity title. And, and we go through the formalities of things. And yes, we go to church. We check that off of our week. We maybe pray before we eat. We do that really well. But a lot of times we miss the peace of just being affectionate towards the Lord, of really being in that place of just messiness with him. And I think a lot of times that's where hospitality comes in. When somebody comes into my home, I want to, I want to be in their life. I want to know exactly what's going on in their life. I want to, to have that conversation with them and to love on them and to make them feel seen and to make them feel known. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with us. But so often, like I said, we put our arms out. We go back to that formality and check off the list. I went to church, Jesus. I'm righteous. I got it all together. I'm not like that person. We're good. And I find it interesting 
how Jesus responds to Simon. And so let's continue reading in verse 41. It says this. Then Jesus told him this story. I love this. I love this because Jesus doesn't just come out and say, hey, Simon, I heard your thoughts. Like, let's just call it what it is. Like, what you said, that was not okay. But instead, he so gently and so graciously shares with him a parable. It says this. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled a larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed me, she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Jesus responds to Simon's thoughts. He first eases into it by sharing with him a parable and asks him the question, well, who do you, who do you think would be more grateful? And Simon's answer is, of course, the one with the greater debt. And then he just, and then he really kind of like, you know, pushes it in just a little bit more and says, hey, all right, let's, let's really call it what it is and say, this woman has done all these things and you have not done any of them. <laughs> and he really speaks truth and he really helps him to see the difference between him and her. And Jesus ultimately applies this parable to the woman by sharing that since she has been forgiven much, she loved Jesus much. She was willing to do, to, to pay it, to lay it all down before the Lord because she knew that she had been forgiven much because she was the immoral, that, the immoral woman that walked into that room. She was the one who had made lots of poor choices. She was the one that all of society knew exactly where she stood and what she had done. And so for her to come to the feet of Jesus and for Jesus to forgive her, she was forgiven much. Therefore, she loved him so much. But you see, this point was not to state that the Pharisee didn't have much he needed to be forgiven. Rather, the one who knows that they are a sinner in need of a savior will naturally be thankful towards the one who had forgiven them. You see, the Pharisee thought he was righteous. He didn't think that he necessarily needed to, to have a savior because he didn't see himself as a sinner. And like I said before, really, he should have been the same, in that same exact place as that woman, kneeling before the Lord, humbling himself before him. But he was too blinded. And so I, my third point is this, is repent, repentance brings gratitude. It brings gratitude. 
This woman recognized that she was a a sinner in need of a savior, while Simon saw himself as pure and righteous and therefore didn't feel like he needed to treat Jesus in any special manner. You see, this woman didn't receive forgiveness because of how much she loved Jesus and and showed him adoration, but rather she loved and adored him because she was forgiven. She didn't receive forgiveness because of, of what she did, because she ran to Jesus' feet, because she weeped all over his feet and cleaned them and poured her, her rare perfume all over him. That's not the reason why she was forgiven. She was forgiven because of the love. And she loved him so much because of that forgiveness, because of that grace that was extended to her. So in verse 48, I already read it, but I'm going to read it one more time just so that we can hear it. I love this moment because in this moment of this dinner party, Jesus looks at at this woman. And this whole time, it wasn't that he didn't necessarily acknowledge her, but, but he, he, sees the, he obviously reads the room, and he sees the, the heart of the Pharisee. And I love that it wasn't so much that he was like, okay, hold on a minute, you know, let me talk to this Pharisee. He, he let her do her thing. And he was feeling her love all the way through it. And instead of acknowledging her first, he acknowledges the, the, the Pharisee. And he says, you see what she's doing? This is what it's all about. Yes, you invited me into your home. Yes, you you did the formality things. You didn't extend any extra courtesies, no. But what she's doing, that's love. That's love. And she loved him so well. And so in verse 48... It says, then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, our last point, repentance results in in restoration and peace. Repentance results in restoration and peace. You see, the immoral woman humbled herself in every practical way. Socially, she was right in front of the dinner party. She was right in front of all these people that were casting judgment over her. Personally, she was wiping her tears over Jesus, over his feet, allowing herself to to just pour out everything that was within her, and had that physical response. And then financially, she was willing to give her greatest possession to Jesus, her alabaster jar of perfume. Worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. As I was thinking about this idea of repentance and how this woman poured herself out before the Lord and how this Pharisee responded at arm's length, Like I said, I could put myself in, in both shoes. But I was also thinking about somebody that God has brought into my life and how God has totally and completely rearranged their life. All the way up until 
um, this time, all the way up until January, January of this year, 2023, the end of January, I had never met my biological father. I had no idea who he was. My mom knew his name, but even then, it was a shortened version of his name, so I didn't even know his, his, um, his full name. And so I always, I, I never had ill intentions, or, or I never had... Um, just negative thoughts towards him. In fact, when I was a kid, I, I prayed blessings over him. For some reason, I never had this weird like feeling of, of bitterness or anger towards him. And like I said, the end of January, God made a way for me to meet him. Through Ancestry.com, I did it. It had taken me five years to do it. That thing sat on my, on my dresser for five years. And for some reason, all of a sudden, I, I needed to do it. So the end of January, I get my results back. Bam, there he is. And I find out that he is a pastor. And immediately I'm like, what, Lord? So I reach out to him. I reach out to him and I connect with him. And I was, I was not sure how he was going to respond. I didn't know if it was going to affect his whole family or his wife. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I was like trying to be gentle with it. And um, immediately after I reached out to him, he was all about it. He was like, let's talk, let's connect. Like, wow, like, you know. And, um, and he began sharing with me a story. Previous to being a pastor, previous to really giving his heart to the Lord, in fact, when he was a kid, he grew up in a church. He, um, there, you know, lived, went to a Baptist church. Like, he, uh, he was under the pew and, like, would, would record the pastor. I mean, he was, like, he was all about it. His family was all about it. However, there was a lot of heartache and a lot of things that really ultimately pushed him away from the, the church. And so he ended up becoming a leader of a gang. He was a thief. He um, made lots of poor choices. He was a drug dealer. So basically the complete opposite. So kind of like what we would do as that Pharisee would see that, that immoral woman and, and see the things that she would do, we would look at him and be like, ooh, he's, he's not somebody I want to interact with. But God had completely rearranged his life. He was off to, to make some terrible, terrible, terrible choices. And before he did, he said, God, if you want me to stop, if you want to stop me, stop me. But I'm going to do this. And he was ultimately off to, to cast revenge. We'll leave it at that. And through a series of events, God completely met him. Through a dream, through visions, through all these things, to the point where he knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was real and that God was going to stop him. And here he was in this hotel room, and he immediately poured out his heart before the Lord. And he repented of everything he could think of. He just started listening it, listening it, listening it. And by the time he was done listening it, he said, God, I know I forgot things, so, so forgive me of those things too. And when he stood up, there was a change in his heart. There was a change in his heart. And so instead of going and doing what he was originally planning on doing, instead he decided to turn himself in. And he ends up going to prison for 11 years. And in that time, God completely meets him. And he becomes a lover of God's word. And he's wrote a book about it, and he's wrote about uh, uh, just his, his journey and everything. And, um, and so where now I get a chance to meet my biological father 
an earthly dad that I've always longed for, and then to come to find out that he loves the Lord with all of his heart. And it started in a hotel room when he chose to repent. Repentance is key. Repentance is the beginning of us breaking down that pride in our hearts and in our lives. It's the beginning of of restoration. It's the beginning of peace. It's the beginning of freedom. It's the beginning of hope. It's the beginning of allowing God to move and to, to penetrate our hearts in every way, shape, or form. Our circumstances may not change. Life may not be hunky-dory. I mean, obviously, he had to go to prison. But still, there can be a transformation in our life. 1 John 1, 9 says this, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Hebrews 8, 12, And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. These are promises that we can stand on. We can stand on the fact that when, when, when we repent, when we stand before the Lord and we lay before him and we say, God, take it all. Forgive me of this, this, and this, and all the things that I can't even remember. As we lay it down before the Lord, he rearranges our hearts. He does what only he can do. He draws us nearer to him. And despite the circumstance that we're in, it becomes easier, not because, not because of what we're going through, but, but because he's carrying us. Are you willing? Are you willing to humble yourself before God, to strip away the pride and allow him to move in your life? Are you willing to get to know the man that's in your house? Are you willing to get to know the person who went to the cross on your behalf? Are you willing to get to know the one who not only went to the cross, died, but also rose again so that you can have victory over the enemy? The one who wants to to grab a hold of your heart and to grip it tightly to where pride grabs a hold of you. And guess what? When there's pride, we are the closest like Satan. So I want to read something to you guys. And as I read it, would you do something for me? Would you just close your eyes? It's a passage of scripture a lot of you may have already read or even known or heard. But it's a, it's a point of scripture that David writes after he had done a whole lot of terrible things with Bathsheba and then ended up um, killing his, her, her husband. And he cries out to God. As I read his prayer, would you just close your eyes? You know the circumstances, you know the situations, you know your own sin, because guess what? We're all broken. Whether you're closest like the Pharisee, whether you're closest like the immoral woman, we're all sinners. We are all broken in varying degrees, variety of ways. We are all in need of of a Savior. So Psalm 51, in verse 1, this is what it says as you close your eyes. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, 
blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Oh Lord, Jesus, Jesus, we come before you as sinners, so broken, in need of a savior. We thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross on our behalf. Lord, despite the fact that we didn't even love you first, you loved us so much and went to the cross and died and rose again so that we can have victory over the lies and the schemes of the enemy. And so, Lord, you know the situation in each and every individual's life. Lord, I pray that they would feel seen and known and heard by you. Lord, as this woman went into to, uh, this house, she immediately went straight to you. God, I pray that we would humble ourselves to run to your feet. Lord, I pray that we would not live a life like the Pharisee and keep you at arm's length, keep our hearts guarded by you. But God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would break down the pride, that you would strip it away, strip away the, the, the chains and the grip that the enemy has on our hearts and on our minds and on our life. Lord, I pray that we would come to a place of, of true humility. Lord, that we would not be afraid to cry, to weep, to offer to you what is most valuable to us. Lord, that we would be willing to lay it down at all costs, no matter what people might think, no matter uh, wanting to please others, Jesus, Lord, I pray that it would be all about you, that we, we would see you, not anybody else in the room, only you, God, only you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. I don't know what you're coming in, in here with. I don't know what baggage you're holding but I do know that we serve a God who loves you, who knows you by name, who sees you, who recognizes your heart, who recognizes when you are truly being humble and vulnerable to him. And so before we continue on, I just wanna ask, maybe you are here for the first time and you're still on the front end of your journey. And you're like, yeah, I need that repentance, but I don't even know who Jesus is. Let me tell you, 
Jesus is somebody, like I said before, who chose you before you chose him. He chose to go to that cross. He chose to point you back to God. He chose to rise again so that you can be free, so that you can have a hope that goes beyond this life, but goes into eternity. And if that is you, if that is you, all you have to do is number one, admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Believe that he did just exactly what I just said that he did. He went to the cross, he rose again, all for you. And then all you have to do is confess that he is Lord of all and that you want him to be Lord of your life. That's all you have to do. And so would you pray with me one more time and then we're gonna sing this song. And if you were the person, if you were somebody who for the first time is saying yes to Jesus, would you come talk to me afterwards? I'd love to connect with you. But all you have to do is pray a prayer just like this. So in your own heart and in your own mind, pray something like this, Jesus. Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins, oh Lord. Forgive me of the things that I know that I'm doing and forgive me of the things that I do not know. Search me, oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross on my behalf. Thank you, Lord, that through you there is freedom, that there is victory, that there is hope. And Jesus, I believe that you are Lord of all. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you that you chose me even before I chose you. Thank you, Lord, that you loved me even before I loved you. Thank you despite my faults, despite my flaws, despite my sin. You still came, you died, you rose again for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, go before us. Jesus, move in our lives. Speak to us, God. Jesus, may we humble ourselves. Thank you, Lord.